They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Elliot, before we start, I think we should probably apologize. This one's coming out a little late due to uh, we picked the movie kind of late in the week. And then I had a bunch of stuff kind of come up. But Elliot, this Tuesday, this upcoming Tuesday, they will be announcing the nominations for the next Academy Awards. So before they announce the nominations Elliot what is your what is your most off the wall prediction what's something that you haven't been seeing a lot of buzz that you think is going to happen or do you have any predictions like that I I have no no predictions I the mind of the academy voters is obscured to me I don't know how they make their decisions I apologize if everyone can hear Shadow barking outside. He's really going at it. Um, no, I can't even think of, like, more than five categories. Uh, so <coughs> I I have no idea. I, I want Oppenheimer to win everything. That's all I can – that's my wish wow. uh, and my prediction. It seems like it's got a very strong tailwind uh, going into the season. But we'll see what happens. Why? I'm assuming that the only reason you even ask this question is to dispense your off-the-wall predictions. No, honestly, I don't have... I think the farthest kind of a field prediction that I would have is I think Society of the Snow is going to get more nominations than some of the predictions I've seen have been letting it. Because... Uh, last year, I think it's very similar to last year when All Quiet on the Western Front got like just a boatload of nominations. And I don't think there was really a lot of hype around it going into the nominations being announced. And I think Society of the Snow is experiencing a similar sort of thing right now. So that's that's my prediction. Wow. Well, we'll see if history bears you out. That's a pretty good movie. It's on Netflix. If anyone's interested, go ahead and give her a watch. It is a it is a very good movie. But we'll be sure to bring you next week our opinions, our hot takes on the Oscar nominations, what we think was snubbed, what we think uh, was unjustifiably given a nomination, what stupid drivel is being praised, well, you know us. We're always ready to come in with aggressive, controversial takes. All right. Well, that's great. Let's, that's enough of uh, ancillary questions. Let's talk about the main event, why everyone's here, why people 
clicked on this episode when they saw what we were reviewing. This week, we're talking The Two Popes, a 2019 Netflix movie um, directed by, oh dear, Fernando Mireles. I'm... I'm certainly mispronouncing that, but there you go. Uh, this what this movie got some a little bit of awards buzz, especially for uh, performances. It stars Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins as the titular two popes. This is a kind of fictionalized, hypothetical encounter between Pope Benedict the. Oh, I don't know. 16th. You had it right, yeah. 16th. Yes, 16th. And uh, before he became Pope Francis, uh, Jorge Bergoglio, Jonathan Price. So these are basically, these are two very different men with very different uh, theologies, very different doctrines, very different ideas of the direction they want the church to take. Francis is, of course, a bit more, I guess you would call him liberal or reform-minded. Uh, Benedict is more conservative, more traditional. And so this movie chronicles their uh, ideological sparring um, over the course of a few days at the Pope's summer residence and in Rome. So if you didn't know the story behind this, this is based on... Uh, this is inspired by true events. So, like, none of this, none of these conversations actually happened, but it is inspired by the Vatican leak scandal, which basically revealed, surprise, there's lots of corruption in the Catholic Church. It was such a scandal that Pope Benedict resigned the papacy the first time that had happened in 700 years, leading to there being two popes. Uh, so the first time, for the first time in 700 years, the previous pope lived to see the installation of the next pope, Pope Francis. So yeah, that's the basic outline. I chose this movie. I watched this, uh, I think when it came out with our parents, uh, our mother is a former Catholic. I guess she was interested in that. Uh, but also... <laughs> Just because it's an interesting premise, uh, the two actors in the lead leading roles are both famous for very good reason. And uh, yeah, so this is the first time Nathan's seen it. So we're all itching to know, Nathan, what you thought. Uh, release us from our anticipation. Um. Yeah, I did not love this. I would struggle to even say I enjoyed it. I was kind of baffled after watching it why you even wanted to review this. I, it's not without some good moments, some good things, but I felt like overall, if there wasn't two immensely talented actors at the heart of this movie, this is the sort of thing that you would watch 40 years down the line and be like, oh yeah, this is some Oscar bait nonsense. Like this is some middle of the road as kind of un... Like it just felt like there was so little 
genuine artistic intent behind so many of the choices made in this movie that it felt less like a very personal statement or even something that had a very clear vision behind it. And it felt more like a grab bag of random artistic styles and visual styles that the director had seen work in other places and decided to just shove together thinking it would mesh with the story he was telling in this movie. I mean, we can go into, we're obviously going to go into greater detail, but I, I think this is going to be one of the first reviews we've had where I am strongly critical of the movie and I'm assuming you like the movie and you have some good things to say about this movie. So it, it, it might be a bit of a flipping of the script. Usually it's you dissing movies I like. But yeah, that was that was my thoughts is I did not really love this movie. Elliot, what would you know, what are your first thoughts on the second watch of this film? Uh, my first thoughts are that are pretty much my or my second thoughts are pretty much my first thoughts that I really like the portions of just uh, Francis slash Bergoglio. I'll just call him Francis of Francis. uh talking with Benedict, having them play off of each other. Um, I was surprised at what I thought was a legitimate character arc for uh, Pope Benedict. I think that the movie took a more sympathetic view of him as a person, maybe not necessarily his uh, philosophy, but as of him as a person than you might expect. Um, so I like that. I like... I'm all for theological debates. That's all good stuff for me. I find that interesting. It's all uh, told very well. It's all shot very well. Um, and of course, I mean, if you need me to tell you that Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins are good actors, I can only assume that's because you've never seen a movie that they're in. So there's not much for me to, I, there's, there's no helping you at that point. But I was less taken both times i watched this i was less taken with the stuff about francis's backstory that felt a little bit more like padding and i felt like without too much tinkering and with just a little bit of expansion of the two popes interactions i feel like we could have done away with that um but on the whole i would say that this is this is interesting it's thought-provoking i i like it um Nathan's just being ridiculous as usual. So let's let's have it. Um, let's have it out. Let's uh, let's lace up our boxing gloves and let's let's start. Nathan, I have to admit that all joking aside, I am really unsure of what you could be referring to here with your criticisms. Usually. When we talk, you say stuff, and I'm like, yeah, I get that, I know. Or I can identify moments where that would um, where that would come to the forefront. In this case, it's sort of like it's sort of like you were with the room where I'm just like, okay, what are you talking about? So give it to us, explain it to us. Let's make sure that we have textual evidence. And we're not just <laughs> oh, flying by the seat of our pants here. 
But uh, let's let's give Nathan a fair shake. We all know that the audience is on my side, obviously. But hold your comments, hold your douse your torches, put down your pitchforks. Let's let's hear him out. Let's be benevolent. I just felt I think my main sort of criticism, and I, the movie just got off on the wrong foot for me right away. That it was just it felt like the visual style and the editing so the cinematography and the editing and even kind of the blocking somewhat of the movie was out of step with the type of story that was being told in the film like the opening section which is really just kind of a glorified news montage that he's kind of racing us through what we need to know in terms of this is what's happening with the Catholic church. These are kind of the main players we're going to follow through the movie, those being Benedict and Francis. And it was just so, it was very, it felt to me, and this is maybe just kind of a taste thing. It felt like it was very, uh, it was edited too quickly. So it felt like I was, it felt like the editing at the beginning of a monster movie that the point of it is to kind of put you on edge almost. And I don't think I should be on edge on a movie about two old guys talking about Catholicism. And then when we got to like the meat of the story of Francis and Benedict talking, why on earth was it shot in this like documentary sort of style of like it was shot like the hurt locker or something and this is this director also directed city of god which is a fantastic movie and he uses the same style in that movie but that works because it's telling a story that he's trying is that is true like it's based very much on true events he's trying to make you feel like you're watching a documentary of the thing this movie, I don't think that style works for it because I don't like none of I know none of this happened. So there's that element already where they're trying to the style seems to be wanting to convince me like, oh, this is like there really was a cameraman in the garden that day that they were having this conversation. And I know for a fact there wasn't because this conversation never happened. And even more so, it felt like choosing to shoot the movie this way was taking away from what was actually good in the movie. I think I mentioned in the before sunrise review that the cinematography in that is really good because it knows that it shouldn't be getting in the way of what's good about the movie, that the cinematography is just really long shots of Ethan Hawke and I forget the woman's name, but of them talking and instead Julie Delpy. Don't make that face, Elliot. I remembered her name. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like that sort of cinematography or that side sort of visual style is much better for very talky conversation based movies like this. Whereas this choppy weird camera angles weird shots like looking at it from behind a bush or behind a tree so stuff is obscured 
does nothing to help me stay engaged in the conversation or stay engaged in the performances that are happening. I mean, I, I have a few other issues with the movie, but I think that was kind of the big one is it felt like the way the movie was shot was actively pulling me away from the things I wanted to be invested in, in this movie that they weren't shooting the performances well. So I couldn't see the performances that I knew when they did shoot them properly. I knew the performances were good, but I can't see what Anthony Hopkins is doing. If you put half of his face out of the frame and in the corner of the shot for some reason. And that was, and that really, it just really frustrated me because it felt like there was a disconnect between the way it was shot and the story being told, which really annoys me. Interesting. I can definitely summon to mind images of what you're talking about, of like a shot through the branches of the trees when they're in the garden or something. And I certainly thought that there were moments that I thought were a bit strange, like the sudden God's eye view of them in the garden, of Ben walking away and Frank following him. And I noticed it more that they were switching to documentary style in the flashback sequences. I mean, it's not the best. I would struggle to say that it undoes the movie. I think that... I don't think that they're trying to, like, fool the audience into thinking that this actually happened with the style. I don't think that there's, like that they're being duplicitous or anything. I guess I just don't care. Like that's, it's not really what I'm here for. I'm here for the <laughs> doctrinal debates of two <laughs> well-educated old Catholics. Um, so I can certainly see, I don't think that, well, I mean, I've never thought that you're, uh, that you're like, wrong about anything i certainly don't think that you're i can understand that that would be a problem i i it surprises me that it's so much of a problem that it could be the undoing of the entire movie but it could be down to taste it could be that i'm just more into story and characters and that kind of thing and nathan is much well i won't speak for you nathan but my impression of you is that you're more keyed into the technical aspects of filmmaking, like the canvas and the paints upon which film, upon which and with which film is created, which completely, completely legitimate. So I'm not sure that further discussion will avail us very much on that point. I think that I, I, I just don't, I'm just not in the same place. That's fine. I mean, if it's the undoing of the movie for you, you can certainly talk more about it. I mean, that's that's pretty significant. No, I, I say, how about we move on to talk a little bit about maybe the thing that we're a bit closer on, which is kind of the main chunk of the movie, which is Francis and Benedict debating their kind of different stances on um, – Catholic doctrine. Because I did find that very interesting. I really, I like Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price. I felt like Price 
kind of impressed me more. And I think the movie is a little bit more focused on Price than Benedict. It almost feels like this is the Iron Man origin story of Saint of Pope Francis. <laughs> that you get to see his backstory and all that. But I really enjoyed the scenes. Uh, I really enjoyed the stuff in the scenes. I didn't really enjoy the scenes themselves, but I enjoyed the writing and the stuff being talked about. And apparently, while these conversations never happen, most of the dialogue where they're talking about doctrine things comes from like essays or papers that Francis and Benedict had written. And as I'm not a Catholic, but I am religious, I've read the Bible, I'm familiar with a fair, I'd say I'm fairly familiar with Christian theology and even Catholic theology to some extent. And I felt like it was really interesting and very well done that they're talking about these differing kind of interpretations of the Bible. They were both very quick to use the Bible to kind of buttress their point or their support, the idea that they were saying. And I thought it was really interesting. I, you know, I, I don't know if it was necessarily anything completely new, but it was interesting to see the kinds of debates that they would have, and especially the kinds of debates they would have inside the fairly rigid uh, form, like formal structure of the Catholic Church. That I, as someone who's not a Catholic, I feel like we really get the idea that the Catholicism is very static. And so Francis's idea that it should be something that changes and sh is shaped somewhat by the age. I thought that was kind of interesting and wasn't really something I was familiar with going into the movie. So I think those were the best moments. The writing was good. And I thought both of the actors did a really good job of portraying those arguments then. Yeah. Um, first of all, Jonathan Price's Spanish accent is mind blowing. Like I honestly kept on thinking is he being dubbed or something? Because it's immaculate. It's perfect. So great job on that. I agree. I This is the kind of stuff that I live for. Um, just dusty, mostly academic. Well, in this case, not really <laughs> academic because it relates to like a billion people. But sort of esoteric debates about the nature of God, the nature of the church, and I, I think that the movie does a very good job of, I think that it's clearly coming down on Francis's side, but I don't think that it unfairly maligns Benedict, Benedict's side. Um, I never got the feeling that Benedict was necessarily being demonized. I more got the feeling, and this is kind of what you want from a movie like this, that his and Francis's, their personalities, their characters, their beliefs were both being just kind of put before the audience in as detached a style as possible and left for the audience to decide which one had more merit. Um, I do know a bit more about the history of the Catholic Church just because the history of the Catholic Church is like the history of the world uh, because, or at least the history of Western civilization for a great portion of it is very closely linked to the church, specifically to the Catholic church. 
So I I found that kind of thing just like, and I don't want to like, I hesitate to say that, I hesitate to invoke the vibes whenever I'm talking about a movie that I enjoy because that's, I don't find that very convincing, but I do enjoy the atmosphere. Um, The idea of these people being like, just one link in a chain that stretches back for thousands of years. And I felt like, strangely enough, the movie had a very good sense of history, of import, of, um, of, of like the, the context in which all of this was happening, a context of thousands of years of history, much of it fairly bleak and brutal, Uh, But that kind of thing, I felt like the movie did a very good job with them talking about history, talking about the way that the church has evolved, the way that the, if it has evolved, if it should evolve, that kind of thing, I really enjoy. Probably that makes no sense to anyone except me, but there it is. Um, I felt like the, the dialogue was snappy. The ideas, the themes of the movie were very well served by the form at least as far as the writing and the performances are concerned. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I can see, I didn't really get the sense of that sort of history or that sort of lineage. I definitely can see why you would get sort of an idea of the importance of the events that we're seeing, especially with both the opening and closing montages where you see so many people in Vatican city invested in, who's going to be the next Pope and what is the next Pope's kind of policy or what is that going to say about the way the Catholic church is going? I do kind of want to talk about though, and you mentioned it at the beginning because Francis gets besides being kind of the person, the movie seems to be supporting somewhat. Francis also gets two separate, fairly extensive flashback sequences that, as I jokingly said before, served to be the origin story of Pope Francis, both of which I found interesting in the same way I would have found reading them in a Wikipedia article interesting. It was difficult in my mind to kind of see the justification of having so much of the backstory. I feel like there was more of the flashback sequences and more of the kind of backstory than we really needed to have in order to understand who Francis is and kind of why Benedict would start to be more fond of Francis as the movie went on. But I did still, I did still find them, again, like interesting. And I found them compelling just as like a, the story, I mean, a guy trying to find a sign from God and then going into a church where a priest has been waiting all day for someone to hear confession because he felt called to be there to hear confession. It's a powerful story for me. Although again, it doesn't really meld with the rest of the movie outside of the movie genuinely being an origin story for Pope Francis, which I don't know if that's necessarily (laughs) something we need. 
But uh, what did you think of the flashback scenes? You said before that you don't really see a point to them or that you felt like they were somewhat padding. Well, it's not that I don't see a point to them. And a lot of this I'm kind of coming up with on the spot, or at least I'm coming up with ways to articulate how I feel on the spot. So you'll have to forgive me a bit of ramblingness. But so first of all, you would probably not read a lot of this on a Wikipedia article because a lot of it didn't happen. Like, I don't oh, think great. there was any, I don't think there was any like woman that he was uh, going to marry had he not become a priest. He was inspired to join the priesthood after uh, meeting with a priest who, I guess, left an impression on him. I could find nothing that said that it was because that the priest had been there because he was. That it, that it seemed more like divinely ordained than than any random event might seem to any random person. Um, but yeah, the, so the flashback sequences are mainly concerned with Francis's... The first one is mainly concerned with how he chose to be a priest. The second one is mainly concerned with his conduct during the Argentinian Dirty War, which I'm not going to explain because it's a long story, but basically... You've got the classic uh, dictatorial government on one side. You've got the freedom-fighting, well, I mean, ostensibly freedom-fighting revolutionaries on the other side. Francis never spoke out against the government or the dictator. Um, he was perceived not unfairly as being kind of like on the government side. And this in this episode that happens where there are these two priests who I guess have been a bit more critical of the government and they're sort of running a project. And Francis, the government doesn't like this project. Francis can either condone their activities and thereby give them some measure of protection because the government is also on the side of the church, the organization of the church, I mean, or just kind of not do anything and let what what happens happen which is what he chooses and so the government goes in there they shut down the project they have no protection from the uh from the church from the jesuit brotherhood is the like local organization that he's a part of they have no protection so the government goes in there gets the they get the priests, torture them it's a big long thing uh i'm not sure if this is if this results in his being removed as the leader of that group it definitely happened afterwards. I just don't know if that's the direct reason. But he was sent into the mountains to lead a small parish. Maybe it wasn't the mountains. Sent somewhere remote. Um, basically exiled to a kind of reduced parish, which is where he um, sort of reconnects with God, finds his path, finds his calling um, to be more on the side of the poor. The reason all this is important to understand, <laughs> and I promise it is, <laughs> is because Francis's character, both in movie and out movie, within and without the movie, is associated with his concern for the poor, his, like, um, boots-on-the-ground, intimate approach, contrasted with Benedict's more, not sure how what you would call it, but, like, more formal, more uh, detached um, approach. Now... That is, that to me seems like it's part of a movie that is much more about 
Francis as a person, much more biographically about Francis as a person, because that's trying to explain who he is and why he is. And that's the kind of thing that you would look for in a biopic. But I don't think this movie really is a biopic. I think that this is kind of just like, this is more about the debate at center and about the two people who represent, who are like the standard bearers for each different side of that debate. But giving so much attention to Francis's backstory doesn't quite mesh, I feel, with the movie's broader aim, which seems to be more along the lines of just being about the debate. Because we don't hear that much about Benedict's backstory. He's referred to as a Nazi. That's like true in a very literal sense, in the sense that he grew up in Nazi Germany and his he was drafted into the German army, but his family were Nazi dissenters. Uh, he des- He ended up deserting. He was not an ideological Nazi. But it seems like that's the kind of thing that maybe would have been helpful to know. Like, why are people calling him a Nazi? Why is that a problem? Why does Francis not think that's the case? And so I feel like the movie would have been better served if it had, first of all, been, if it had removed the stuff about Francis's priestly origins, kept in the stuff about how he came to be more appreciative of the poor, more appreciative of the, like, uh, grassroots organization of the church, and then have, like, a, an, a, a similar sort of section for Benedict that kind of explains, that kind of grounds uh, his character, if that's what you want to do. I feel like the movie would be better served by just capitalizing on what already works and just expanding on the debate between the two people. I'm not sure that we need all this extra information about Francis unless it is in the context of a more biographical film which I don't think this movie is really trying to be. And if it is trying to be, then I don't I don't think it really succeeds because it's so focused on the single aspect of Francis's life that that's all we ever learn about. So, yeah, that's my really long, stupid opinion on that. No, I, I agree. And that was very much what I was kind of saying is that it feels like the flashback and especially if they're just making up stuff with the woman and such that it doesn't make any sense to include it unless this, the point of the movie is to talk about Pope Francis's origins, which it's not because the movie is called the two popes, not that one Pope. So yeah, I agree. And I think there's also, there's moments where it feels to me like it's just playing a like highlight reel for Francis, like the flashback where he's giving a speech and they start intercutting like people putting up walls with his speech about like how bad walls are. That just feels like a Pope Francis fan cam that it's like, look at how great he is. He's talking about the issues that are relevant to us. And then even kind of the montage at the end of the movie where he's like traveling from 
place to place. I was like, there's no point in this outside of just being like, isn't Francis so great? Look, he's in the, he's cooking food for the poor and eating with the poor. He's so amazing that, yeah, it feels like the actual part of the movie that is the two popes that is true to the like name of the movie and the stated premise of the movie is only like 30 or 40 minutes. And this movie is two hours and some change long, which again, it, it feels like there's a huge disconnect between, or it doesn't even feel like there's a disconnect. It just doesn't feel like there's any guiding artistic purpose behind the film, which I see in both the, split between the content and the way the content is being filmed and then just the genuine story being told feels like it's split between a francis origin story and a more theologically based discussion movie well i i disagree that there's no sense of a guiding artistic vision i would say that probably just the artistic vision feels a little bit muddled that's what i would say it might be illuminating for you to know that this movie actually was going to be called The Pope and was only changed to The Two Popes when the script was sent to Anthony Hopkins' agent. So, might be a of bit course. of... Okay. There. <laughs> that explains a lot, actually. <laughs> I, 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 I love you and respect you, Anthony Hopkins. Uh, but, yeah. Anyway, I want to talk about, like, the character's of the two men involved because I feel like that's where that's another really strong point of the movie. The movie does a good job of, I don't think they're the most like complex characters. Obviously it's difficult to make a very well-rounded character in the context of a fairly specific focused debate, but I think that they're very compelling and that they're very well realized. Obviously you have a huge help from some great actors, but I felt like we did get a really good sense of who these two were as people. Um, like Francis is more, is less self-assured. He's more doubtful of himself. He's more doubtful. Uh, he's more doubtful of himself, but more confident in God, if that makes any sense. Mm. Whereas Ben, Benny, Benedict <laughs> is less confident in God, but more confident in himself. But that also kind of hides this very real sense of loneliness. I actually really enjoyed, because in this movie, the like, not real, I, I remind you, inciting incident is that, well, the inciting incident is that Francis wants to resign as archbishop. Uh, that is actually something that he wanted to do, although he never had a meeting with Benedict about it. But anyway, so he's constantly trying to get the Pope to sign his uh, retirement papers, and Benedict keeps on putting him off. And the way in which he kept on doing that is he would be like, let's just watch some TV together. Let's watch this weird Austrian uh, detective show about a dog, which is real. I looked it up. Um, let's, uh, let me play the piano for you. Let's get a meal. Let's hang out in the Sistine Chapel. And that kind of thing, I felt like spoke to a real sense of isolation in him. That he just kind of, as for as much as he didn't get along with Francis ideologically. He kind of just wanted to hang out, just wanted a friend. And I feel like that's more indicative of Francis's style. And that's kind of the movie's 
thesis is that Benedict, and I'm not saying that this is right or wrong, by the way, I'm just saying that this is what the movie is doing. And I think that it is doing very, doing it very well, that Benedict and Benedict's ideas are very well depicted in him because he's isolated. He's insular. He's uh, rigid. And that makes him detached and makes him lonely. And it makes like, right, the church lonely because the church is bleeding members because it's not really, it's kind of lost its drive to evangelize or to reach out. Whereas Francis is more personable. He's more interested in reaching out to people, drawing them into the fold through like action and interaction rather than through like theology and debate and stuff. I think great, great job. I love when the, I, I think that's a good marriage of theme and form. And I think that of course, both actors do a great job with it. I love Anthony Hopkins, love Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price, and they play their roles perfectly. Like, there's really nothing else I can say. They're, just, they're great actors, and they do a great job here. And, yeah, so I, that's what I really liked, is I really liked the characters, and I liked how they they sort of lived out the reality of the more nebulous conceptual ideas that the movie was treating with. Yeah, I get I. I guess I would agree. I'm still kind of hung up on the fact that this was originally just supposed to be about Francis. And then they added stuff about Benedict that feels very, I don't know. I, and I guess that doesn't do as much for me. Like I'm not as excited about that fact. Cause I feel like I would be much more interested in that if I then felt like the movie was giving equal weight to both ideas or equal screen time. I thought it was a really bizarre choice to, like we already said, there's no flashback backstory scene for Benedict. And the one time where it seems like Benedict is about to be a bit more honest and vulnerable and talk about something from his past that he doesn't feel great about, uh, the audio cuts out and it completely like skips over the entire thing and just skips to Francis's uh, astonished, horrified reaction to what Benedict has said. Um, which I don't want to get into like what it seems like he's talking about there, because to me, it feels just weird that the movie would completely cut that out. Because again, it doesn't feel like it's giving an equal weight to both sides if it decides to just cut one side's kind of origin or like thoughts or the openness of that. It just felt, it felt like a bizarre artistic decision, which again, it feels to me, it feels like the movie is full of choices that I can't understand why someone trying to make this movie would choose to do that. Like, why is it, why is there sax music playing when uh, Francis goes into the Sistine Chapel, what on earth? It's so weird. And it just, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. So it's stupid. That's, that's where I land if things don't make sense to me. Well, <laughs> I understand the impulse to not get into what he's talking about. I am going to get into what he's talking about. So I, you can cut this oh, if boy. you want to. But 
that is a moment that I didn't love because what he's clearly talking about is he's talking about the knowledge that the upper Catholic hierarchy had of sex abuse cases of Catholic priests, which that's a huge story. One of the most appalling and expansive abuses of power like ever, I guess, or certainly up there. And it's weird to not just like say it, not to just like imply it. And that to me speaks to a, that I didn't like because it kind of felt a bit like ducking the issue. Like when people talk about, when people talk about corruption and problems in the Catholic church, that's the first thing people are going to think about, right? So they, you are ill-served by just looking away and not talking about it because everyone knows what's going on. So that is that was very strange to me, and I, I, I was not a big fan of that. Yeah, well, and it's even stranger because they keep the audio for long enough to, like, let you know, like, if you know what they're talking about, if you know the priest that he mentions before the audio kind of cuts out, you know that's what they're talking about. So it's even stranger that they're not even fully ducking the issue. It's like they're ducking the issue and then they pop their head back up just enough to get hit a little bit by it. That it's if they just completely duck the issue, that would make sense, but they purposely just like flirt with the issue and then leave it which is just weird yeah they frustrate they keep their distance but they don't look like they're keeping their distance they're flying casual (laughs) i don't know fly casual (laughs) anyway yeah not great um yeah yeah i uh don't have a whole lot else to add um it is there what they're in in that scene is an actual like one to one recreation of the Sistine Chapel they made in a studio. That's pretty impressive because it looks amazing. Uh, so good job, guys. Good job, set designers and creators. Yeah, Nathan, I'm gonna look up the name of the set designers and stuff, and you can say some things if you so wish. Yeah, kind of my only uh, closing thoughts, just in terms of another bizarre artistic choice, is why they played Dancing Queen after uh, Benedict asked Francis what he's humming. And he's like, oh, it's Dancing Queen by Abba. And then they play part of Dancing Queen just to remind the audience what Dancing Queen is, like, which is just so weird to me. And again, it was like an early thing that, really bugged me just because it feels pointless and without yeah any artistic reasoning driving it the other thing i forgot to say this when you first did it i agree that jonathan price's spanish accent and just you know he sounded very not english which i'm pretty sure is what he is Uh, But that did just kind of highlight to me how little Anthony Hopkins was trying to sound like a German person, which is not at all, which it's whatever. It doesn't really matter, but it just felt like a weird disconnect to have one of the actors really trying very hard to nail how their real person would sound. And then one of the actors is not trying as hard. I mean, I don't think it's, 
I don't think it really matters. But again, it's just another thing where it's like, is everyone on the same page here? Does everyone know what we're trying to accomplish? Which is just feels to me to be true of the whole movie in some sense. All right, Elliot, who are the set designers and people? Uh, well, as usual, the credits uh, <laughs> obfuscate more than they illuminate. But um, we do have set decoration by Rudy Campanella, Livia Del Piore, Veronica Mellory, Natalia Mendebru, German. Oh gosh, this is. I'm so sorry that I'm mispronouncing all these. Naglieri, <laughs> Alessio Penzironi, and then production design. In general, was by Mark Tildeselli. Okay, <laughs> that's enough of me embarrassing myself with my complete inability to pronounce things correctly. Uh, by the way, Anthony Hopkins is Welsh, uh, so you're right; he is English, and that makes it even more impressive. But yeah, I don't think that there's uh, too much else to say. Let's get into ratings. I'll go first. Um, I like this movie i don't love it but i respect what it's trying to do i think that what it attempts it accomplishes it it accomplishes not without some missteps um i think the central debate is very interesting and very well done um good writing good dialogue good characters i like the way that the characters are drawn and the the sympathy with which they're drawn uh Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price, no notes. I'm sorry. Hey, I'm sorry about the whole German accents thing, Nathan. Uh, I guess it doesn't matter. Where will it's it's it it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the flashback sequences are a little weird, and the kind of like the structure or the aim of the movie feels a little bit muddled, as well as it's um it's sort of. It's flying casual around things that should be flown around seriously um, and soberly, which is a definite misstep. So I'm going to give it ultimately a B minus. Well, uh, I do not really love this movie. I don't hate like this isn't a completely artistically bankrupt movie, like something like you know, Dial of Destiny or Jurassic World Dominion. I I definitely feel like there's some sort of artistic purpose or people are trying to say something or convey a story that is meaningful. I just think they chose a terrible, terrible, terrible way to shoot it and to go about telling it. I think the editing is a mess. The cinematography is a mess. The story feels, again, the knowing this started as the one pope and it became the two popes you can see it in the structure and plot of the movie and who gets more screen time and more characterization there's some things that are good about it i do agree that the set design is very impressive i assumed they couldn't film inside the vatican but like one-to-one recreating vatican locations i would imagine is a very difficult thing The acting is really good. And when they are just debating theology, it is interesting. And it is kind of interesting to see where Francis came from in terms of the stuff that's true about Francis's origins. But I just don't, there's so much other nonsense in this. So I'm going to give it a 4.6 out of 10. 
Wow, that sounds that seems a lot harsher than what you were actually saying. Oh, the score? Yeah. I don't know. It's like it's I think it's below mediocre, like a medium movie. A mediocre movie is like a 6 to me. So this is fairly below a mediocre movie. How could a mediocre movie be a 6? That's above 5. That's above like the average. Yeah, but a sit five to six is like mediocre. All right, we're not going to be talking about, we're not going to dive into the minutia of my numbering system, okay? Just trust me, it all works out. Uh, let's get to some recommendations. Elliot, you stole the recommendation I had, so it's clear. <laughs> so why don't you go first, and then I'll go second. Uh, so just to clarify, I didn't steal this. I just thought of it first. Um, and Nathan is better at thinking of things to recommend. So it was decided that he would be the one to give way. But anyway, mine is a very similar movie to this. It's One Night in Miami, which is similar in the sense that it's just like a hypothetical meeting of some people that were real and did think these things, but... It's not necessarily based on, like, anyone's, what, like, diary or anything. Um, so it follows four kind of men who were invested in the civil rights struggle. So that's Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, Cassius Clay, and Jim Brown. Uh, Cassius Clay, also known as Muhammad Ali. And yeah, it's it's very similar conceit to the two popes because it's just these people talking about their ideas, about their lives, about what they want to happen and how they want to achieve that. There's tension. Um, I could not really like summarize these ideas and these arguments uh, effectively, briefly, as it will come as no surprise to anyone. But if you know anything about the civil rights uh, movement, then you will be familiar with a lot of these ideas. The acting is great. It's a great idea, very similar to the two popes. So if you like that idea of just like the, the interaction of different minds and different ideas in a real sort of historical setting, but fictionalized version of it, then give uh, the two popes, or not the two popes, good lord, give One Night in Miami a watch. Uh, yeah, I agree with everything Elliot said. It's a very, very similar conceit to this. So if you want to see more movies like that. Uh, my recommendation is a bit more Catholic-oriented. I'm going to recommend the 1966 Best Picture winner, A Man for All Seasons, which follows uh, Thomas More, who was just the Archbishop, I'm pretty sure, of Canterbury, whatever the Archbishop, the head bishop in the English church when Henry the eighth was the one. Yeah. When Henry the eighth was trying to get a divorce from his wife, which was not allowed by the Catholic church. And it's basically about Thomas More's refusal to recognize the King's divorce and then subsequent marriage after that divorce and the consequences that kind of came from that it's it's somewhat of a similar story in that it's about kind of catholic or christian doctrine and theology specifically thomas More's interpretation of the right thing to do in a very difficult situation i actually ended 
I had to watch this because I was trying to watch all the best picture winners, but it was one of the ones that kind of surprised me with how good and interesting I found it. So I think if you're looking for more stories related to people grappling with doctrine and theology, uh, I think this is a pretty good pick, pretty good film to go to. So I'm not sure if you're wrong or the movie's wrong, but Thomas More oh was not an archbishop of anything. Uh, he bad, was bad. not, I don't think that he was, I don't think that he was like, he specifically was getting in the way of Henry VIII's debauchery. Yeah, he's not, I'm, I guess I'm struggling to, he wasn't getting in the way of it, but he wouldn't kind of sign off on it, I think is more the issue that he wouldn't support it or say that it was okay was and he was a very influential voice in the church so the, the king was upset that he wasn't doing that that is that is accurate um thomas more was okay you probably heard of utopia that's the book that he wrote um so he's he's like uh he's like a thinker like a philosopher um is basically what he was but nobody cares what people do care about is that life is hard and full of disappointments. That is a matter of great concern to a great many people, myself included. So it's important to, it's important and necessary to uh, address that. Nathan and I w went to see American fiction uh, very recently. Uh, it That's a recurring joke in the movie. Definitely go see that if you, if it's in a theater near you, because we really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Go see that. That'll for sure be showing up on these Oscar nominations. We'll be sure to bring you, again, our thoughts, our reactions to those nominations in next week's episode. Hopefully, that will be released on at the correct time. But in the interim, I hope you have a great week. I hope you're back here next week for another episode 